Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, all my splendor is gone. And everything I had hoped from the Lord, gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Therefore, my heart is downcast within me. Which Old Testament prophet said those words? Jeremiah. You'll find them in Lamentations Chapter 3. Pretty serious words, wouldn't you say? So over here we have Jeremiah, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. I don't even know what peace is anymore. Bitterness and gall, that's what I remember. Yet over on this hand, we have the Apostle Paul, who said things like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, made known, to, be made, made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes, transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jeremiah, I've been deprived of peace. Paul, and the peace of God which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I've thought about this. And as far as I can tell, every single one of us exists on this day somewhere between Jeremiah and Paul. Would you agree? We're somewhere in there, somewhere in between. I want us to think about that subject today. I want us to think about the peace of God. And in order for us to make this personal, then I want you to help me by creating a personal scale for yourself. If chaos is a one and peace is a 10, then I want you to think of the number that most closely identifies where you are today on the peace scale. Will you do that? Take a pencil or pen, write that down someplace. No looking on your neighbor's paper. Okay, two people grabbed a pen. So the rest of you have great memories. You're going to remember. It's okay. I'm, I'm good with that. It's okay. Would it surprise you, while you're doing that, would it surprise you to know that at the end of 2021, in a survey of folks who lived in our country, that four out of 10, this was post-pandemic, but before inflation and recession, that four out of 10 Americans said that they struggled with some form of mental illness. Would that surprise you at all? How many of you would think that number was higher? So this is a problem. This is a problem. This absence of peace. All right, so did you get, did you, do you have your number? You got your number? 
Okay. Now, I'm not going to ever ask you to reveal what that is, but just bear with me. How many of you, for how many of you, your number is somewhere between a one and a 10? Okay, good. All right. I just want to make sure you're, you're, you're participating somewhere between. Well, let's talk about this. So for our text this morning, it's um, Philippians chapter two and three and most of four. So we might be here for a while. Not really. I'm going to paint with a broad brush. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to think about 10 barriers, 10 barriers to having peace. And so Paul, beginning in chapter two, verse one, and going through chapter four, the middle of the chapter, he identifies all these, all these good things about moving toward peace. But if you reverse engineer them, then you can see that he's actually addressing problems and difficulties that actually are barriers to having that peace. So the verses that I just read to you a minute ago that end with, and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He goes on to say, whatever, whatever, is, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you've heard from me or learned from me or received from me or even seen in me, put this into practice. And guess what he says next? And the God of peace will be with you. In between at least 10 barriers. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want to I quickly walk through 10 things, 10 potential barriers to peace. And then I want us to go back through that same list in a practical way to say, what can we do about this if you were to identify that any one of these barriers was a barrier to you experiencing God's peace? Y'all okay with that? I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So here we go. The first thing is barrier, hindrance to peace. The first thing is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Now, in, in this passage that I've identified, there were two women in the church who were, who were not getting along. And, and Paul actually names them in chapter 4, Euodia and Syntyche. And he says to these women, he says, I want you to get along. I want you to get along. This difference, whatever the difference is that you're having, I want you to get along. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, in this magnificent passage that, that introduces uh, this wonderful hymn in chapter 2, Paul says, he's talking to the whole church. He's writing a letter to the whole church, and the church is in that region. But you can tell that he's sort of got a sideways glance to these two women who were at odds with each other in the congregation. And so he says, if you have any encouragement, chapter 2, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete and be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. So there was this unresolved conflict that was going on there. I'm identifying this as he did as a potential barrier to peace. Now, this unresolved conflict can be between husband and wife. Say it ain't so. <laughs> it can be between parent and child. It can be between brother and sister. It could be between co-workers. It could be neighbors. Or it could even be people within the congregation. But if you're engaged in and living with and tolerating an unresolved conflict, could you not agree with me that that's going to be a barrier to peace? It's not going to be there. We'll talk about what to do about that later. 
but unresolved conflict. Number two is an unhealthy mindset or attitude. An unhealthy mindset or attitude. Having introduced chapter two in the way I just read to you, he goes on to say, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then this great, great statement where in verse five, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or NIV says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so he's identifying the fact that a bad attitude a bad mindset, a, a bad spirit is going to be a hindrance to the kind of peace that he's introducing to us here. And especially these women. Look, you got a bad attitude, gals. You got to get this right. You got a bad mindset. You're tolerating stuff internally that needs to be fixed. And so an unhealthy mindset or attitude. Rather, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What am I talking about? I'm talking about if you have an attitude that is more boastful and proud, more a rebellious spirit, more a spirit of an attitude or a mindset of selfishness. That's a bad attitude. How many of you would agree that's a bad attitude? Instead, he's going to say in this great passage that follows where he talks about Jesus who laid aside the rights and privileges that were his. Jesus, the one he's saying, let this mind, the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, which is a spirit of humility where Jesus humbled himself and came down. It's a spirit of obedience where he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It was a spirit of sacrifice where he willingly gave himself. That spirit, that's the mindset. But I'm just saying, for the sake of our list here, that a bad spirit, a bad attitude, a bad mindset, obviously is going to be a barrier to peace. Third thing I would say is uh, unrealized strength and power. Unrealized strength and power. Now look at verse 12 and verse 13. Paul says, I want you to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why would he say that? Why would Paul say, work out your own salvation? What in the world does that mean anyway? I believe it's because there are those people who having trusted Christ, having converted to Christianity, having given in submission their lives and their wills to follow Jesus, discovered that it's a pretty hard thing to do. Did you know that I talk to people regularly whose who, one of their main problems is that they're finding it so hard to be a Christian and they're surprised by it? Well, nobody told me this is going to be hard. Why is this so hard? Why has God let all this bad stuff happen in my life? What about this setback? What about that circumstance? I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be something different. And so Paul here is saying to them, hey, work out your own salvation. I'm going to come back to this. In fact, when I bring this up again, y'all know that I'm right at the end of the message, okay? Because it's very important. But he goes on to say, work out your salvation, knowing that it is God who's strengthening you. It's God who's working in you, not only to will, to cause us in our will, but uh, to, to cause us to desire to do the things that God wants us to do, but to give us the power to do them. But I want to tell you, if you're unprepared, if you uh, have unrealized strength and power, you haven't figured out that it's God who's working in you in difficult circumstances, that's going to be a, that's going to be a barrier to peace. Number four is unbiblical theology. Unbiblical theology is a hindrance to peace. Now, Paul's going to identify two ditches. There's a ditch on both sides of the truth. 
And on, in chapter 3, uh, he talks about the Judaizers. There's a ditch, a theological ditch over here. And people who embrace a distorted theology aren't going to have peace with God. Over here on this side were the Judaizers. They were the people who accepted Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, but nobody else. And no Gentiles need apply. If you want to apply, then you got to be circumcised. you got to become a Jew, and then you, can be, then you can become a Christian. And it was a ditch. They were legalists. They were... They had a spirit of legalism that says, you've got to do this, you've got to obey this law, you've got to be circumcised, you have to do these things, and then you can be acceptable in God's sight. Friends, there's legalism in our day and age as well. A legalism where you've got to live by my list of rules, you've got to do this. If you do these things and you don't do these things, then God will be pleased with you and then you can have peace with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Paul's saying, hey, that's a ditch. That's a distortion of grace. Where you add law on top of grace. And he said, stay out of that ditch. But I want to tell you, some of the most miserable people I know who claim to be Christians are legalists. And I think, where's the joy in your life? If your system of theology is supposed to produce peace and joy, where's the evidence of it? Because I never see it. But I'm not their judge. But I'm saying there's a ditch of distorted theology over here. There's one over here too. Paul identifies this later on in chapter 3 where he talks about those people who would, take, who would take grace as a license to sin. And so on one hand, we have legalism. On the other hand, we have what you might call is licentiousness, which says, hey, God will understand. God's gracious. God's kind. God's forgiving. He'll understand. He'll understand. It's, it can't be that bad. And so Paul says, look out for this distortion in theology. And I want to tell you, friends, when you willingly, when I willingly, when I willingly flaunt the grace of God in a way of persistent sinfulness in my own life that would say, God understands and God knows I deserve this. I want to tell you, you might look happy on the outside, but there ain't going to be any peace on the inside. So... Unbiblical theology, legalism, license to sin, a harsh critical spirit, or God will understand and I deserve this. Number, number five is to be unclear about your purpose and your values. Unclear about your purpose and your values. Hard to be at peace with God when you're not, when you're not clear about why you're here and what you're after. Now, Paul, what a great, what a great example here. Paul had the greatest credentials in the world. He had the most impressive resume that anybody had ever had. I mean, as a Jew, Paul was the greatest Jew of his day. He had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the greatest Jewish teacher of the time. His parents were real Jews. They still practiced the culture. They spoke the language, the Hebrew language. Everything, everything. His, his background, his culture, his parents, his heritage. He was affluent because he was born into an affluent family. He was well-educated. He had everything going for him. He was a Pharisee. Not just was he a Jew, but he was a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was probably a zealot because he, was, he said he was zealous for the destruction of the church. And in the world of Jews, Paul had it made. And, he and his purpose was try to destroy the church. But he came to that place to understand. And in, in, in chapter 3, he said, everything that I used to count as profit in my life, I now consider it as loss. So everything that was in the plus column for him, he changed it to the negative column. These are the values that he had before Jesus to the value that he had in Jesus. He said, everything that I used to count as loss, I 
now count it as everything I count as gain, I now count as loss. Not only that, I count it as dung. In exchange for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and becoming like him. You see, that was the highest value of Paul's life. Knowing Christ and becoming like him. Knowing Christ and becoming like him. Later on, he's going to say, this one thing, this one thing that I do is that I might know Christ and become like him. And so his values, his values. I talk to people all the time and their circumstances are tough and they're difficult. And I find that many times when you're talking to somebody in difficult circumstances and you can translate that into a value proposition, then things get really clear for them. Here's this problem. Here's this difficulty. Well, let's talk about this in view of the values that you hold highest. Friends, all, all I'm trying to say is this. If you're not clear about your values, if you value everything the same, and you're pursuing who knows what, not necessarily bad things, but just lots of things, but not ever one thing, then I'm going to tell you it's probably true in your life that you're not going to have a great quantity of God's peace. So I'm just saying unclear about your values. Number six um, unwilling to forget the past. If you're following there in a, just in a, in a broad way in these verses that we're going through in chapter 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, in the self-emptying, death of Christ. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. But then he goes on to say, not that I've already obtained that. I'm not already there. If you have your Bibles open, you see that in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold, but one thing that I do, look at that. One thing, one thing that I do, forgetting what's behind Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, I want to tell you, this is a very, very important barrier to peace. Unwilling to forget the past. Forgetting the past almost always involves forgiving. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves. Any of you ever really messed up? I mean big. Messed up in a way that when you look back on it, in some ways it defines who you are today as a person when you let it. Did you know you have to come to a place that you're able to forgive yourself based on the fact that God's forgiven you? The psalmist said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all our sins. What? And heals all our diseases. Who redeems our life from the pit and satisfies our desires with good things. So that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, God is, 
God is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the Father's love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Father removed our sins from us. Let everybody say amen. amen. Friends, I want to tell you, if God can forgive us, then you can forgive yourself. Sometimes forgetting the past means letting go of the past in such a way that you forgive yourself. But may I hasten to add, sometimes it means you have to forgive others. I want to tell you, there's some neurotic sense of satisfaction when we know that someone has failed us and that we have still held them on the hook. We have the power over them. Because they're in our debt. Has anybody ever hurt you? A boss, a co-worker, family member? Stabbed you in the back, pulled the rug out from under you, cheated you, stole something from you, took your position that was rightfully yours, and you just haven't been able to get over it? Sometimes we as adults, I love the youth in here, I love this. Sometimes we as adults have to forgive our aging parents. Sometimes we as children have to forgive our parents. Unforgiveness, unwilling to forget the past, to let go of bitterness and resentment and anger and shame and guilt and helplessness and hopelessness and a victim mentality and self-pity and thoughts of revenge, to deliberately and willingly let go of that is letting go of the past. And some people refuse to do it. You notice I didn't say some people can't do that because I don't believe that it's something that can't be done. I always believe that it's something that a person refuses to do. But I'm telling you, you can't hang on to that and experience God's peace with the other hand. Number the next is uncertainty about the future. Paul said, hey, he's talking about those people who take grace as a license for sin. And he says, their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. We're going to get Jeff to do a whole series on the glorified body. He can do that later. Is there anything in our world that would cause one to have anxiety and worry? I can't think of a thing, can y'all? Whether it's the economy, recession, inflation, pandemic, natural disaster, what do you want to call it? What do you want to say? What, 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 what? What is there? There's all kinds of stuff in our world, isn't there? There's all kinds. I'm so thankful today. I'm heartbroken for the people in Fort Myers, but I'm, I'm so thankful today that we're not the ones cleaning up after a hurricane. What does that make me? Alan's schizophrenic? I don't know. I'm happy we didn't get hit, but I'm sad for those people who did. I really am, just like you are. But for the grace of God, that's us today. And what if God took it all away? What if he, what if it, what if it all, I was, what if he took it all away and you lost every single possession that you had? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He'll give us the grace to start over. There's a lot of stuff in our world to worry about. But here's what I would say to you. You're worried about politics. You're worried about the White House. Worried about this. Worried about that. Worried about the stock market. Talk to Alan. He can help you with that. 
What are we worried about? All those things. Paul said, look, don't put your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Because our citizenship is not here. I have a U.S. passport that I'm very thankful for. If you ever traveled internationally, when you come back, man, that big old flag in that gateway city, you think, thank you, Jesus, that we live here because nobody lives like we live. But I want to tell you, I got a passport that's way, way more important than that one. And so do you if you know Jesus as your Savior. And that's a passport stamped by the blood of Jesus that says this person is heaven bound. Heaven bound. But I want to tell you that this uncertainty about the future would rob you of your peace. Number nine, unrelenting worry and anxiety. Unrelenting worry and anxiety. We just talked about some things that we could be worrisome, worrying about. Paul says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. By prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Unrelenting worry and anxiety. Hand-wringing worrying. And friends, I want to tell you, it's impossible to hang on to anxiety and worry and experience peace at the same time. Full disclosure and transparency, I want to tell you, I have to work on this. I'm given to anxiety. I am. And, and I, think, I think I have lots of brothers and sisters in the same way. Anxiety. Worry. My iPhone's down there on the chair. I appreciate having a clock back here. That's the only reason I would carry it up here is to be able to see the clock function. But man, if you don't have enough to worry about, things to be anxious about, get an iPhone. 24-7. Plenty of stuff right there to worry about. And I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. I'm, somebody has said that the average person touches their phone, what, 2,000, 3,000 times a day? That's embarrassing for you people. Who's like that? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, worry and anxiety. Oh my gosh. You're not going to know peace that way. But you have to deliberately say no to it. And that leads me to the tenth thing. And that is, un by the way, prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer. Let your request. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Don't worry. Pray. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You people need to pray more. But that's what he says. If you don't want to be worrying and be anxious all the time, then you need to pray. And let your petition, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God will follow that. But let your petitions and prayer be made known to God with thanksgiving. And friends, I don't want to minimize anything here that has to do with our thinking and our, and our mental uh, capacity and our mental wellness and our spiritual well-being. But I want to tell you this. The greatest antidote that I know for, for situational depression, do you know what it is? It's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. What do you have to be thankful for? By the way, I left you hanging with Jeremiah and Lamentations. Oh, my gosh. I left you hanging where he's like, oh, and my soul is downcast within me. Listen to what he says next. Yet this I call to mind. Because of, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Jeremiah, you're in a pit, man. Your life has been a wreck. He said, my life has been so hard. It's like I've been chewing on gravel and my teeth are all broken. and It's just horrible. And he had a lot of things that could have brought him down. And they did bring him down. And his soul was downcast within him. He said, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Friends, 
What we need in our world today is hope. Is there hope in Jesus? Is he more powerful than our enemy? Is he more powerful than the things that would come against us and cause us to worry and be anxious? Jeremiah said, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because his mercies never fail. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, he says. Glory to God. Friends, there is hope and there is peace. Jeremiah says, yeah, I'm thinking all this stuff, but yet this I call to mind. This I call to mind. Friends, I want to tell you the 10th thing I want to identify is a potential barrier to peace is unfocused thinking. Unfocused thinking. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 8, chapter 4, Paul says, finally, brothers, and I quoted this a minute ago. Finally, brothers, whatever... And he's going to tell us how to think. He's going to tell us what good thinking looks like. What does unfocused thinking look like? What is unhealthy thinking like? Well, one way our thinking can be unhealthy is when it's, when it's unfiltered. How many data points do you think come into our lives every day? Uh, I mean, sensory, visual, oral, um, Information, information that comes into our lives every day. Do you think, how many of you think would be measured in the hundreds? No. How many of you think would be measured in, in the thousands? How many of you think would be measured in the hundreds of thousands? How many, yeah. Friends, it, it'd be hard to calculate. And somebody's done the research on it and I admit that I didn't, so I don't know. How, as far as I can tell, it would be in the gazillions to be specific. And you know, if you let all that information come into your mind unfiltered, that that's going to absolutely rob you of peace. How many of you think it's a healthy thing just to have unfiltered information coming into your mind all the time? It's not healthy at all. But unfiltered thinking is, uh, <clears throat> is unfocused thinking where all thoughts have the same thoughts. And what about, what about just unhealthy thinking? What about you just get something on your mind and it's bad? It's bad. It's ungodly. It's not pleasing to Christ. And uh, what about those things? And you wind up thinking about those things. Or even if it's things related to things we've already talked about here. And you're thinking about revenge. Or you're thinking about payback. Or you're thinking about, I don't know, unhealthy thinking. Unhealthy thinking. Does anybody in here understand? What about that thing you watched on TV last night? What about that stuff you look at online that you hope nobody ever knows you look at? Unhealthy thinking. And then you think about what you saw because you can't unsee that. And so it's just there. We're going to do with it. Unhealthy thinking is unfocused thinking. It's unfiltered thinking. Would it surprise you that the Apostle Paul is the same one who said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you get that? That's filtered thinking. That's spirit-led thinking that leads to peace. All right, those are 10 things. How y'all do it? Without voting, without confessing, because we don't have time for confessions and testimonies as much as I know many of you would like to speak. Someone smile. Thank you. God bless you. 
Everybody else is terrified about what I'm going to say next. That's okay. I'm not going to embarrass you. How many of you would say, I can see, don't, don't raise your hand and don't change your facial expression in any way. How many of you found yourself somewhere in that list of 10 things? Then do nothing and sit like a stone. That's what I thought. So what are we, <laughs> Jeff will never ask me back. I know I get that. So what are we supposed to do about these things? Uh, I don't, I'm going to go really fast here and just identify some specific things. Number one, if you're in an unresolved conflict, you just need to make it right. I mean, I'm talking about today. Make it right. You need to humble yourself. Humble yourself. And maybe you didn't start the conflict, but you've allowed it to continue. Somebody has said we get the, we get the relationships that we allow or the ones that we shape. So maybe you didn't create this one, but you've allowed it to go on unresolved. You humble yourself before God, and you take the first step to making the relationship right. Everybody say amen. amen. Number two, if you have a bad mindset, you have a bad attitude, you're just not, you're selfish and not selfless, and you're all those terrible things that we talked about before, boastful and pride, rebellious spirit, and so and so and so. May, there might be some people here in this room today that just, you know what, need to old-fashioned repent. God, I've been wrong. My attitude has been stinking. And you know, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Not long ago, my lovely wife, Tony, and I were having a conversation. Yeah, that's what I'll call it. <laughs> we were having a conversation, and I was in a bad mood. I mean, some days, I'm not proud of it, but I, I was a lot of stressful things happening around us, and I was in a bad mood. And she, she gently pointed it out to me, like wives can do. And... Uh, and she was exactly 100% right. And my, my confession was, I know you're right. I feel like I've only got one nerve left and I myself am standing on it. So it happens. I know that. But some of us, if you have a persistent bad attitude and a bad spirit and a bad mindset, some of us just need to repent before God. Number three, um, we need to learn and embrace the truth. If you're holding on to some theology that um, is, is twisted and distorted in some way, then let, let someone teach you the truth. Number five, in light of the truth, you need to examine our values and clarify them and figure out why you're here. Why are you here? Why are you here? I don't mean in the room. I mean on the planet. Why are you here? And Jesus saved you. God foreknew you in eternity past and Jesus redeemed you on the cross and the Holy Spirit drew you to himself and called you and justified you and has put new life in you by his very presence. Then why? For what? Why are you here? Figure it out. Figure it out. But friends, I can tell you at a minimum, you're here to know Christ and to become like him. Because those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Did you know that? God's intention for you is that you become like Jesus. How you doing, friends? How we doing? Some of us need to get some clarity to our values and begin to pursue them. Number next is forget the past. Forget the past. It's not usually our successes that cause us to be robbed of peace. Successes of our past, even though sometimes they can play a role, usually it's our failures. Please don't vote, but how many of you have something in your life that happened that was so terrible in your mind and the estimation of your recollection that it's the colossal failure of your life? So much so that as you live in today, it has become 
in many ways shaped you and has become has in many ways defined your capacity of growth as a person. I want to tell you, friends, there ain't nothing in your life. There's nothing in your past. There's nothing, 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 nothing. I'm talking about that. Shh. I'm talking about that thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night with a cold sweat that consumes your mind with guilt and shame and remorse and regret. There ain't nothing in your life that is not redeemable by the power of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in your past that disqualifies you from participating in the kingdom of God if it's been covered by the blood of Jesus. I say this to encourage you. Friends, we need to forget the past. Paul had to forget his past of locking up Christians and destroying churches and, and, and even perhaps including murdering Christians so that they were martyred because of their faith. Paul had a lot of mess in his background that he had to forget. And so he said, forgetting what is behind, I press on. Friends, there needs to be a lot of forgetting what's behind and a lot more pressing on. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you, God, that you redeem what's been broken in our lives. Number next, embrace your future and find joy in it. Number nine, the next one, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray. Pray. Pray with thanksgiving. For those of you that don't feel good unless you've been beat up when you come to church, and I'm gonna, uh, I'll do it right here. Pray more. Especially you people. Pray more. Pray with thanksgiving. If we prayed more, we'd be anxious less. Number 10, focus your thinking. Focus your thinking. Focus your thinking. And then the very last thing, and I left this one to the last. Did, did I warn you beforehand that when I come back around to this, I'm almost done? Did I do that? I said that? Okay. Well, I'm back to it. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So finally, what do we need to do? Some of us need to do this, some of us need to do that, some of us need to do that, some of us need to do that. All of us need to do this. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean? I don't even know how they teach math anymore. <laughs> Did you know they run the whole sound thing from an, from an iPad? Did y'all know that? It can run it from a telephone, an iPhone. I didn't know that. I thought you had to have a big soundboard like this with knobs and levers and stuff. And I didn't know that. So I don't know how they teach math now either. But back in my day, it was Bobby, go to the board. Go to the board. Do problem number four. And then the dreaded words, and show your work. <laughs> oh my. Oh gosh. Don't make me show the work. That, that's the same word that Paul uses here when he said work out your salvation. He means work it out to its conclusion. Work it out to its conclusion. Keep working it out and showing your work until you get to the conclusion. So he's saying here that we need to work out our salvation. The fact that we've been born again, we've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. Then we need to put on display, show and tell. We're working out our salvation. We're doing it with fear and trembling because it's hard. There's nothing easy about being a Christian. There's nothing easy about following Christ. There's nothing easy about living counterculture in a culture that's bent so far and so fast away from God. And if you th today's the easiest day you're ever going to have in your Christian experience moving forward. This is it. 
Tomorrow is not going to be easier than today. And next week and next year is not going to be easier than it is now. Enjoy yourself today because it doesn't get any easier than this. How's that for a word of encouragement? Which is why Paul said, work out your own salvation knowing, knowing that it is God who is at work in you. I'm turning back. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God's at work in you. I ask you a question. How does God work in us? How does God do that? Okay, somebody else. <laughs> it's not a trick question. How does God actually work in us? Yes, whoever said by the Holy Spirit, that's right. He works in us by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God, the Holy Spirit, who's at work in us, who is working in such a way to cause us in our will to want to do what he wants us to do, and then to give us the strength and the power to do it. So as you work out your salvation, you need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit because he is doing his work in us as much as we yield to him and submit ourselves to his purpose for our lives. Amen. That's good teaching. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to do. We need to work out our salvation. Now, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. We need to spend time alone with God. If you don't have peace and you want to have peace, then you'll do this. You'll spend time alone with God. You'll humble yourself before God and say, God, you put your finger on this in my life today. I've known it was an issue. I knew it was a problem. But today I got it in a, in a fresh way. And I, wanna, I want God, please, I want we, I'm ready to listen to what you have to say to me about this. Spend some time alone, quiet, undistracted with God. Talk to him. Take your petitions and prayers to him with thanksgiving and listen to what he has to say to you. That's, that's one thing all of us need to do. It may be that you also need to talk to a trusted friend. You may need to talk to a trusted friend. Somebody who can, who can, uh, somebody who can help you sort through some stuff. You see, the issue is that I haven't talked about anything today that God brought to your mind that you didn't already know was there. Am I right? But sometimes you get stuck. If you... If you were ready to fix it, then it would already be fixed because God's always been ready. Sometimes you need to talk to a trusted friend. Sometimes you may need to talk to a counselor. All of us need somebody in our life who can tell us the truth. I was 17 years old, trying to make a decision about where to go to college. I was having a conversation with my father, who's a very, very wise man. He and I had a difference of opinion about where I should go to school. And he felt strongly about his position, and I felt strongly about mine. We're standing on the sidewalk in front of our house at 1601 West Jackson Street in Pensacola, Florida. I remember the address because my dad was pastor at Whitfield Memorial Baptist Church, and the parsonage was at 1601 West Jackson. And we were standing on the sidewalk. I don't remember why. And we were having a conversation. And I'm, I'm making my case, and he's making his. And in the middle of our conversation, he said, Bobby, what's that on your back? I don't know. And then I go on pressing my case. A couple minutes later, he says, Bobby, what is that on your back? I said, and then I'm doing all kind of frantic moves to try to see what's on my back. I don't know what's on my back. We kept on with the conversation a third time. He said, son, what is that on your back? Finally, in frustration, I turned around and I said, well, you look at my back, dad. Just look at my back. You tell me what's on my back because I can't see it. He said, I never want you to forget this lesson. 
there'll always be a part of you that I can see more clearly than you can. <sighs> what, a, what a moment. I've never forgotten that. And you know what, friends? My life is better to the degree that I allow a few people in my life that I trust enough to be able to see those parts of me that are clearer to them than they are to me. Do you all understand what I'm saying? I want to say to you, find that person. And I also want to encourage you by saying, be that friend. Be that friend. Friends, I want to tell you, God wants us to dwell in his peace. And he's given his, us his promise that we can. And the God of peace will be with you. And the peace that surpasses and transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and minds through who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Which should not come as a surprise to us because the Bible says in Isaiah that his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, which is true always, at all times, on all subjects. Your word is true, and you are always right in every way, for every time, for every person, in every situation. We yield ourselves to you, God, and to your word, and to the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts, to bring us to the place to correct what needs to be corrected, to learn what needs to be learned, to forget what needs to be forgotten, and to pursue what needs to be pursued. God, I pray that you would help us toward this end. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.